Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 90 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we are telling the first part of the story of Ireland's warrior king. It is Brian Baru. But before we begin, I want to give a big welcome to any new listeners and to any indeed returning listeners. Thank you for your new or continued support. Please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Uh, it's the best place to get in touch and the best place to connect with the podcast and uh, if even if you just want to say hello and uh, I just wanted to say a particular thank you to those who follow me and get in touch with me on Instagram today because I've actually just been able to qualify for a professional Instagram account thanks to your very kind support which just means I can spread word about the podcast that bit better I can sell tickets to the live shows now in future Uh, so that's actually a huge help that I was trying to build towards Um, so thank you so much for that and please do continue to to like uh, the Instagram if you're not on Instagram you want to get in touch do so by email at thefiresidebard at gmail.com and if you really want to support the podcast you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast where you can join our ever-growing community of very kind benefactors and I actually want to give a very special thank you we have three new patrons this week this is absolutely incredible this is the most amount of new patrons in one week so far on the history of the podcast so thank you so much to I hope I can get as always I can know if I pronounce the names correctly to Jeff and Javine Matthew Hill and Andrew Hallinan. Thank you so much for becoming this week and this month's newest patrons. Uh, I can't thank you enough, for, particularly at these incredibly challenging times. Things are getting a bit more lax and we're all trying to get back slowly but surely back to normal every day during the COVID-19 pandemic but we're really not out of the woods here certainly not us in the arts as well it's looking like it's going to be next year at the earliest before we're getting anything seriously back going in terms of live performance but that is the best thing about this podcast is I've been able to do it from my home setup at home and now I'm back in the Headstuff studios which is fantastic this podcast has got me through this pandemic and I've loved 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 getting all of your messages from from you saying how it maybe made the pandemic a little bit easier for you as well so that 
that makes it all worthwhile. And uh, thank you again to the patrons. And it, the Patreon, again, is, as I always say, is only there as an egalitarian model of soundness. It is only there if you are in a position to and if you want to support the podcast. If you don't, uh, if you don't have the means or if you just don't want to, that is totally okay. But if you don't, uh, if you can't support the Patreon, why not? You, why don't you just tell a friend about Fireside and let's keep the community growing. And with that, on to this week's story. This week's story is, well, well, I mean, what else can you say? You know, from the title, we are talking about Brian Baru. When I started this podcast, 90 episodes, and never did I think we'd be getting as far as Brian Baru. And it's fantastic too. He is, he is another one of these mythic historical figures. He was very much a real man, but he has been so mythologized over the course of the last a thousand years it can be quite hard to sift what is fact from fiction but that's where I come in because as I say I'm not a historian I am a storyteller so I can benefit from uh, being unburdened by historical uh, historical truth or I as I say I will never say anything that I know is untrue and will always try and tell the truest version of events but particularly this area of history a lot of this is hearsay we don't know and there's things that historians will have to say you know this probably didn't happen and I can clear up that you know I'll always clear up what is legend and what is rumour but myth really works in there is a lot of a current of the Tua de Danan and indeed of all of the cycles of Irish mythology in the story of Brian Baru and I have the benefit of being able to lean into that and explore that because that's the side I'm interested in is this period of Irish history where Ireland had very much been Christianized, but they still very much held on to these pagan beliefs and it's the where those two fates came into 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 where those two fates clashed, and indeed where those fates then clashed with the Norse and with their beliefs, and with the Norse Christians and with the Norse pagans. So you have all of these: you have paganism versus Christianity, clashing swords and heads, left, right, and center. And indeed, center of that is this man Brian Baru, and it was so brilliant getting to uh, explore explore Brian and uh, we'll be with him for the next couple of weeks you'll be very glad to hear so we're going to start with the first part and uh, we'll chat a bit more afterwards but here we are episode 90 this is Brian Baru Ireland's Warrior King on Fireside Brian Baru Ireland's Warrior King They carried off their jewels and their best property, and their saddles beautiful and foreign, their gold and their silver, their beautifully woven cloth of all colours, and their satins and silken cloth. They carried away their soft, bright, matchless girls, their beautiful silk-clad women, and their active, large and well-formed boys. The fort and the good town they reduced to a cloud of smoke and to red fire afterwards. The wars of the Gael with the Gaul. In the latter years of the 10th century, the island of Era was chaos. 
The Norse Vikings had invaded, settled and integrated. They had built great towns and cities like Dublin, Waterford, Wexford and Limerick. But they never conquered the entire island. For that matter, no Irish king had ever conquered all of Ireland either. Not yet. The population of the entire island was about 500,000, less than half of the population of the capital of Dublin today. Yet, despite the meagre population, there were over 150 kings. The kingdoms of these kings varied greatly in size and influence. And yes, since the landing of the Tua de Danann, there had indeed been the title of High King of Ireland, but this was a largely symbolic title. That would all change by the new millennium, with the rise of a new Irish king, who without exaggeration or hyperbole, would change the course of Irish history forever. The most powerful family in Ireland was the O'Neill, who traced their lineage to Nile of the Nine Hostages. But the O'Neill were only dominant in the northern half of the island, in the provinces of Meath, Leinster, and most of all, Ulster. In the southwestern province of Munster, the dominant power was the Oanacht, who held the position of King of Munster. They held this power from the Rock of Cashel in Ireland's premier county of Tipperary. But the Viking invaders had built a city at the estuary of the Shannon River, the largest and most useful of rivers in Ireland. Controlling the Shannon, the Norsemen could sail their fierce Viking longboats inland, controlling not just the coastlines of Ireland, but the heart too. This was the city of Limerick. So the hierarchy of Ireland was complicated. And the order of kings even more so. But one thing was clear. It was the families who could trace their lineage back to the Tua de Danon, who had settled Ireland, and the Gaels who had supplanted them. In the west coast kingdom of Tomond, which covered the lands we would now call Limerick and Clare, there was a minor kingdom called Dal Cash. The Dal Cashians were said to be descended from the Fearbulk, whom the Tua de Danon had fought back west of the River Shannon. The king of the Dal Cash was Kennethig MacLorcan. His family had ruled the Dal Cash since their foundations. They were said to have been descendants of Anya of the Tua de Danon whom the Feast of Midsummer was celebrated for. Anya was known as the Queen of the She. She was married to Alil, King of Munster, not to be confused with Alil, who was married to Queen Maeve of Connacht. Alil was said to have raped Anya, and in revenge, the fairy woman bit off the king's ear. It was the law of the Tua de Danon that no one who was not physically perfect could rule. Alil's maiming led to his removal from power. He was thereafter known as Alil Autumn, Alil the One-Eared. This cemented Anya's legend as a queen who could give power and who could just as easily take it away. The Dal Cash claimed their descendancy to Anya, 
but they also wore on their banner the metal arm and sword of Nuda Lov Arigat, the first king of the Danann, who was removed from power when his arm was cut off, until Dian Kaked, the healer, made him a metal replacement, leading Nuda to reclaim the high kingship of Era. But the Dol Kash were not the only ones who claimed descendancy from the Danann. So too did the Oanacht, who ruled Munster, who had a much stronger claim and whom the Dal Cash had to pay tribute to. Kennethig MacLorcan was married to the daughter of the King of the West of Connacht, Bavine. Together they had eleven sons and one daughter. Their youngest boy was named Brian. With ten brothers ahead of him, the likelihood of Brian becoming king of the Dalkash seemed astronomically unlikely. But this would not stop Brian. When Brian was very young, he and his eldest brother Mathgammon were herding cattle on the mountainside overlooking the townland of Kinkora. From this mountain they began to hear screams and cries and smell the lingering stench of smoke. The Vikings were raiding the Dalkash. By the time Brian and Mathgammon made it back home, the town had been burned to the ground. Many of the people of the Dalkash were carried off as slaves, but others, including several of Brian's older brothers and his own mother Bavine, were viciously slaughtered. This tragic event would stay with Brian for the rest of his life. The Limerick Norse were now and forevermore his enemy. But one of Brian's greatest skills as a military tactician was that he learned from his enemies. The Vikings' domain was the sea, and the river Shannon allowed them to rule by land too. So King Kennetig and his sons began a series of counter-raids all along the Shannon. With each successful loot and raid, the power and influence of the Dalkesh grew, and the power and influence of the Norsemen was undermined. When King Kennetig died, the kingship of the Dalkash passed to his eldest son, Mathgammon. Mathgammon was not content with just being king of the Dalkash, not even king of Tormund. Mathgammon wanted to be king of Munster. The Oanacht had held the ancestral position of king of Munster because of their strong lineage, but over the years, through battles with the Norse and the southern Unil, the strength of the Oanacht had waned. All that was left was their name, and Mathgammon believed that the Dalkash had as much of a right, and now had the wealth and power. With the Oanacht impotent, the militarised Dalkash led by Mathgammon took Cashel and the seat of King of Munster. Despite this decisive victory, Mathgammon was never officially declared King of Munster. His claim was still viewed by many to be illegitimate and his chief political rival was Male Mood MacBrien, the ousted king of Munster and the heir to the Oanacht. Because Mathgammon was trying to secure the seat of Munster, he had made peace with the Munster Vikings and their king, Ivar of Limerick. This did not at all sit well with Brian, who still sought revenge for his brother's and mother's murder. Once Cashel had been won, 
Brian and a small, loyal band of 200 followers abandoned Mathgammon and engaged Limerick in a guerrilla war campaign. They raided and pillaged surrounding forts and villages, surviving day to day on whatever booty they could scrounge. But with each raid and plunder, Brian lost more and more men, until just 15 out of his original 200 survived. However, word of Brian's courage had reached his older brother, and Mathgammon and the entire force of Dal Cassians came to Brian's aid. Mathgammon convinced his rival, Mael Muith, to briefly bury the hatchet. As long as Ivar of Limerick was in power, he was a threat to the kingship of Munster. The united forces of Dal Cash and Oanacht led a siege on the city of Limerick to attempt to drive the Norse out of Munster once and for all. The battle was known as the Battle of Sulcot, fought outside the city of Limerick. The fight was long and bloody, with swords and blood drawn from sun's rise to fall each day. The united front of Dalkash and Oanacht drove Ivar's Norsemen back into Limerick, cutting heads off as they went. With the Norsemen back inside their city walls, the Dalkash set fire and burned Limerick to the ground. They killed every man of fighting age and every single woman and child was enslaved. The Norse control in Munster was no more. The Dalkesh were victorious. But even then, Mathgammon's authority was undermined. With the Norsemen defeated and Limerick burned, the rivalry between Oanacht and Dalkesh was reawakened. Mathgammon was kidnapped by Donovan, another king of a minor Munster clan, and at the hands of Maelruad, his rival turned ally turned rival again, Mathgammon, eldest brother of Brian and King of Munster, was killed. Maelruid would then take back the kingship of Munster, but he would not hold it for long, for after Mathgammon's death, Brian, the youngest of twelve, became King of Thomond and leader of the Dalkash. The Battle of Sulcot and the Sack of Limerick had made the Dalkash more rich and powerful than they had ever been before. Brian was just as formidable a military leader as his father and brother had been, and would learn from his brother's shortcomings. Brian's claim to the kingship of Munster would be in no doubt. He began tying up each and every loose end. First, he pursued Ivar of Limerick, much weakened after the loss of his city, and beheaded the Norse king. Then, Brian met Maelruid of the Oanacht at the Battle of Belochlachta, and with Maelruid's death permanently put an end to the Oanacht claim for Munster. Finally, Brian rounded up the stragglers. Donovan, who had kidnapped Brian's brother and led to his death, had joined forces with the remaining Vikings of Munster, led by the youngest and last surviving son of Ivar of Limerick, Harold. At the Battle of Cahercubbin, Brian killed both Donovan and Harold and was finally the legitimate and only rightful king of Munster. With Munster secure, Brian then set his eyes on something neither his father nor brother could even have dreamed of. Brian pursued the title of High King of Ireland. This is when he would gain another title. 
gained from the cattle tributes he would pursue. He would be known as Brian Baruma, Brian of the cattle tributes, or Brian Baru. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner and I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus, uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus and then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all, like politics and being a child actor if you like finding out about things listen to basically with stephanie preisner and there we have the first part brian baru ireland's warrior king on fireside and i hope you enjoyed it yes this will be the first of three episodes about Brian Baru. it was originally going to be two but they very easily became three and i was very happy with them it's this is very much the origin story of course Brian only becomes king of Munster at the end of this story and he's not even high king of Ireland yet but that will all come but I just thought this was probably the aspect of him that I knew the very least about as to where he came from and when I discovered all of this these Tua de Danon roots and these Freerbullog roots and uh, the idea that he had knew the Law of uh, arm on the Dalkash banner like anyone who's been listening to this podcast since day one who will remember possibly I don't know it was a long time ago folks it was nearly two years ago now but in the very early episodes of this podcast when we did the mythological cycle of Irish mythology go listen to it if you have not already um, and we had all of this we had the two of the Dan with their landing and Nuda's arm being cut off and nothing. no one who was not perfect could uh, rule Ireland. <coughs> and so Nuda had to have a metal arm reconstructed so he could reclaim the high kingship of Ireland. And uh, we had them tracing their descendancy to Anya, who was the mother of Conora Moore, who we did it in the historical cycle. You might remember she... Uh, locked herself inside a metal building and she burned to death to save her family. Um, again, I think that's episode like 42. I actually know that because someone was asking me a question about Conor Moore recently enough on Instagram. I don't just have that kind of encyclopedic uh, Rolodex knowledge of what episodes were which. I wish I did. But so yeah, you have this. That's been What's been incredible is that I said I was... Uh, slightly apprehensive of delving that bit more outside of my zone here because this is getting more and more into history even though it becomes a lot more complicated mythology is more of a simplicity because 
I feel more bound to the texts in mythology than I do when I'm adapting folk tales. When I'm adapting folk tales, I listen to the story, you get the bones of your story in there and you write your own version. But there are more kind of gospel texts to the mythology. And so you can't just make stuff up as willingly. Um, you kind of feel there are a bit more consequences. Even though mythology across all cultures contradicts itself left, right and centre. But I kind of always feel you need a reason to change something if you are going to actively change something. A lot of the times it's just filling in the blanks or trying to streamline because you get so many names thrown at you that ultimately don't come back up. But with history, of course, it's 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 a lot less because it's not you know it's not storytelling it's history but it's still there is still a huge amount of of narrative to it and that's my job here is kind of trying to streamline it and put some kind of narrative shape on these this invasion saga this invasion cycle that that I've been putting together and what's been incredible is seeing that even though we're now nearly at the year 1000 in history we're the Tuatha and Ireland's pagan and traditional roots still come back up more and more, even though Ireland has been Christian since the 5th century. So I consider that really, really encouraging and making it seem all the more valid that I am still adapting the um, history here or is still adapting these stories because they are still relevant. This still feels like a continuation of the fireside story and of the sagas. So that is very encouraging. And we have we have this kingdom. We have this kingdom of the Dal Cash. So Brian, of course, Brian Baru is he is the first Brian, so all O'Briens trace their name from Brian and his father Kennetig, Kennetig McLorkin. And Kennetig is actually where uh, the name Kennedy is supposed to have had its roots as well. So we have all Kennedys and all Bryans. It's it's kind of thought that all that all Irish people at some point descended from Brian Baru. Certainly a lot of people would claim. The problem with this period, we get uh, all that we know from Brian Baru, really, from that very controversial text I've spoke about a bit since starting with the Vikings, which is uh, the Wars of the Gale with the Gaul. That's actually what that quote was from at the beginning. This is a quote from a description of the sack of Limerick, which was, they carried off their jewels and their best property and their saddles beautiful and foreign, their gold and their silver, their beautifully woven cloth of all colours and their satins of silken cloth. They carried away their soft, bright, matchless girls, their beautiful silk-clad women and their active, large and well-formed boys. The fort and the good town they reduced to a cloud of smoke and to red fire afterwards. So that's from the wars with the Gale of, with the Gaul, which is very much a chronicle of this period. But it was written a hundred years later. You know, it was written a hundred years later when there was already descendants of Brian who were trying to big him up as much as possible. But I think I was expecting while reading and researching more about Brian Baru was that I'd find out that he was significantly less successful or uh, less accomplished than I would have originally thought. But if anything, the exact opposite is true. Um, it's a, He did more and more and it's it's been really exciting seeing 
what he did do and what he is rumored to have been truth. Like it's it's an incredible story, and I can't wait to share more with you about it. Um, and yeah, this is. I was hoping I'd remember to say this. <laughs> this is going to sound like a really Irish thing, but I can't. I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, I don't come from a famous Irish family. I don't, or rather, I don't have a a, a name with a huge amount of lineage. Um, I'm Olahan on my father's side, which is, which I like because that's a very specific Irish name. It's quite rare, so it would usually mean that anyone with the surname Olahan, I would be like in some way related to, if not directly related to. And then on my mother's side, it is Curran, which is, again, it's another Irish name, but uh, again, not too too rare. Um, but uh, you get here, we had when we were doing the Battle of Tara, we had that one of the last great Viking kings of Ireland was Olaf Curran, and which is like a Norse version of Curran. And you wonder, like, would we be descended from them? Is that a Norse connection there? But I discovered last week from uh, from my family that apparently the Currens were bards at the court of Brian Baru. My father, my grandfather, was a great Cork man, great Cork actor named Chris Curran, and he was a Shanachan storyteller himself. He was very much big, big influence on me still to this day. He died when I was quite young. I only have very, very early memories of him. But supposedly he used to talk about how the Currens were were bards at the court of Brian Brew, which sounds like such a thing that everyone's grandfather would say. So it's something that I really want to do more research on. And I did look up something about the Curran name and discovered that there was a very famous bard family, uh, which were the Currens of Leitrim. And uh, now Leitrim is is a significantly bit away from... Uh, from Cork, but it might not. It, but it uh, was less far away from Clare, and also you're not. You're never going to be too far away from anywhere in Ireland. You know, it's a very, very small island. But so that seeing that there was definitely a Bardic family, and that the Corns were known as a Bardic family, led some, you know, credibility to my granddad's claim, and it's something I will. Uh, get a bit more about but yeah I know that's the thing that all Irish people and all people with Irish ancestry usually claim some association with Brian Baru or Michael Collins or De Valera or something well maybe less so De Valera the more uh, time goes on but yeah I'm not one of those people usually but if this is true that would be incredible because uh, this is what I do now this is literally what I'm doing now I'm talking about Brian Baru and they would have been talking about him at the time a thousand years ago so if that is true and uh, I hope it is. And I'm going to go go about like it is. Uh, what an incredibly serendipitous fact or, or, or thing, to, thing to have in my mind, you know. Just always makes it feel more like the right thing again. Because that's what I love about the podcast medium in general, is it lends itself to the oral tradition so well. I said it right from the beginning. I find it so encouraging that when we're considered that our 
memories my our memories are getting shorter our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter that it's uh, I'm going to sound like such an old guy now like uh, that it's TikTok and it's really short short videos that's still one of the most popular mediums of entertainment at the moment is long form audio which uh, makes me think that uh, there is still that oral tradition and still that craving for it here today so, before I go into any more tangents, I am going to wrap things up there. But I hope you enjoyed that, the first part, our Brian Brewer and his Warrior King. It's really, really exciting territory that we're in. And I hope that that was, because uh, that was a lot. There was a lot thrown at you, um, a lot of information. There was a lot of information to sift through. Um, but we have the main players. We just have, like, it was important to gain that this that the Dalkash were our significant family, but by were no means given anything. Like, Brian gained pretty much everything by the sword. And we'll start to see, it gets a lot more Song of Ice and Fiery after this, once it starts getting more, much more political. But so far, like, it's just drawn blood. Supposedly, Brian Baru loved the axe as well. He took the battle axe from the Vikings and used it very much to his advantage. But it only gets it better from this as we move through his rise to the High Kingship of Ireland and indeed then ultimately to the Battle of Clontarf, the very controversial Battle of Clontarf, where it is said that Brian Baru defeated the Vikings. But as we will learn, it is much more complex than that. But lots of fun as well. So please do get in touch. Let me know what you're thinking about this whole thing, about this new invasion saga, this uncharted waters that we're in. Um, I'll wrap up by saying a big thank you to Paddy Allen and Connor here at Head Stuff. It's always still great to be back in the studio. Thank you to Jamie, my producer. Thank you each and every one of you for listening. Uh, please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Tell someone about the podcast. Support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcasts. A big thank you again to the three new po- patrons for this week Jeff, Matthew, and Andrew. Um, I will see you all. You will hear me all next time when we have another folk tale uh, called The Secret Token. Uh, and before, until then, remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.